Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to On The Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. Going to get right into it here because there's a lot to get to here on what is proving to be just a never-ending offseason if you're covering Florida State. On Thursday evening, NCAA announced penalties for Florida State, Alex Atkins, and the NIL collective Rising Spear. Uh, and it was in regards to, although not named specifically, uh, in that report that the NCAA released, the recruitment of Marius Mims. You remember that recruitment probably pretty well. Per the report, Alex Atkins drove Mims to a meeting with a booster and uh, at the time, the chief executive officer of the NIL collective, Rising Spear, not to be confused with the battle's end. Uh, this is per the NCAA report. I'm going to read this verbatim here, these next couple, uh, couple sentences. Quote, the assistant coach transported the prospect and his parents to and from an off-campus meeting with a booster who at the time was the chief executive officer of an NIL collective that was also a booster. The prospect and his parents stated the assistant coach informed them that they would be meeting with the booster. The coach did not stay for the meeting. Uh, the coach, not named there, is, is Alex Atkins. Continuing, during the meeting, the booster engaged the prospect to enroll at Florida State and offered him an NIL opportunity with the collective worth approximately 1500 or excuse me, that's not correct, $15,000 per month during his first year at the school. After the meeting, the booster contacted the prospect and the prospect's mother via text message and or phone call. Shortly thereafter, the prospect withdrew his name from the transfer portal and remained at the previous school. The prospect did not enter into an agreement with the booster or receive any related compensation. End quote. On a day, Friday morning as this podcast is being recorded, um, which we're monitoring the whereabouts of Mike Norvell as he's been reported as a legitimate candidate perhaps the candidate, along with Washington's Kalen DeBoer, uh, in regards to the Alabama job opening, as Nick Saban uh, retired a couple of days ago. It's fittingly a dreary, damp day in Tallahassee. That's the tone setter. I know it's not super vibrant or positive right now. Uh, just when we thought it couldn't get any worse than December, here we are. I'm joined by Chris Nee here. Actually, he's on the physical bench. Zach Blossin should be joining us shortly. Combined, we are OTB. We're powered by Chattanooga Whiskey and the Turner Group. The Turner Group. Uh, Chris, as you're on the bench awaiting for arrivals for two transfers today, let's get going on this. Uh, FSU's NCAA violation, it's a level two penalty. I guess from you reading the reporting on it and reading what the NCAA put out, what's the significance of this penalty that's been enforced and accepted by Florida State? Well, level two is a significant breach of conduct. That's how it's defined by the NCAA structure. There's three levels. There's breach of conduct, which is level three, severe breach of conduct, which is level one. Truthfully, a level one to some degree is like stacking multiple penalties upon each other. Level one is where you get into the concern of lack of institutional control. Level two does not involve that. Why did FSU get a level two? Because there's two instances here 
that were investigated within the case. If you read the uh, release from the NCA regarding the Florida State University negotiated resolution, it outlines both of those issues. The case synopsis, the first two pages really dive into that. One was impermissible recruiting activities. The other one was provision of false or misleading information. By definition, that's how the NCA went about it. So the first one pertains to the actual act of what they did, which involved the Emeritus Mims recruitment. Uh, you know, people can go online and read it. I'm not going to sit here and recap everything, but it's, you know, 15000 per month, meeting with a booster, Atkins driving there, so on and so forth. And the second one is essentially when they were doing the investigation, they felt misled or lied to. And obviously that's one of those things that has ambiguity and depends on who you ask with regards to how it was done. But that was what the NCA stuck with. And that's what FSU agreed to in this negotiated resolution as far as one of the two items that the NCA took hold of. The, the timing of this, based on just since December 2nd or 3rd uh, and everything that's come with it, a lot of unprecedented right? <laughs> unprecedented uh, snub, an unprecedented lawsuit, unprecedented bowl game, just a lot of stuff that doesn't have precedent. And and now this, uh, an unprecedented uh, NCAA violation for NIL uh, measures that, that are taken. So, and of course, it's FSU in the crosshairs here. Chris, does this at all feel punitive, like in the sense of more than what it FSU did was, was against the rules, but guess who else is doing it? Everyone, including the school that probably likely turned Florida State. In. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that school, that school is Georgia. And, yeah, it, it's fair to say that it is punitive to a degree. But you also got to remember the time frame of when it happened. It's the earlier stages of NIL. We've evolved a lot with regards to NIL, how it's viewed, how it's monitored by the NSA and all of that since this happened. This happened well over a year ago, nearly, what, 18 months ago, May of 22, correct? That's when it would have been. Um, so you got to keep that in mind. Yeah. Spring of 22. So you got to keep that in mind. But is it punitive? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you can look at any punishment and say it doesn't really fit the crime in the day and age that we're dealing with the Wild West recruiting. But again, you know, if you read the synopsis, it talks about text messages, essentially a paper trail. And anytime there is that, it's a little bit easier to punish somebody because there's stuff you can factually point to and say this is the instance of what we are punishing. But yeah, it feels punitive uh, it, regarding the climate of the current stance of college athletics and basically pay for play and everything we're dealing with with NIL. But, but you can't get caught and Florida State got caught. Zach, do we want to talk about that? Like, is that something we should talk about that? Like, how did FSU manage to get yeah. caught in all this? Absolutely. So, like, based on our, I mean, you guys have talked about how we've been aware of this ruling coming down for what five months now or so. we, we had heard rumors of it in august i guess i haven't, I haven't mentioned that on the podcast uh, yet for that audience but yeah we, we'd heard about it in august but it was tough to report on without knowing the like actual substance of it yeah. for what it's worth we weren't caught off guard it coming this week we, we thought it'd be friday uh it happened thursday evening but we thought this week is when it was going to happen beginning of the week to yeah. add to the time frame conversation i talked to somebody during the soccer playoffs here at fsu that had knowledge of all of this and the investigation and FSU's back and forth with the NCAA and essentially what did come out officially yesterday. And at that point, that person told me that they thought the time frame for the release of it would be after early signing day period, mm -hmm. probably around the new year. Obviously, we're what 10 days removed from the new year. I presume FSU and the NCAA had spoken about this being released here in the last week as far as setting a hard date for the actual release. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it fit into the time frame of what was drawn up for me, basically, in what early to mid-November would have been that time frame. FSU negotiated for this timeline, and I think for it to be towards the end of the recruiting cycle, 
because even though like it's not going to we'll get into it directly affect a lot of like recruits uh it is still a, a public um public relations deal where you have to talk about it right so uh, i think yeah, you, you, you want to avoid battling narratives that are you know false or that you don't have enough time to combat so right. being able to do that with a full cycle versus at the very end of a window of a cycle is a vastly different situation sorry zach go ahead yeah um so how florida state got caught i mean you guys talked about how this is happening everywhere in the country i mean I mean, I, I know specific examples of Georgia tampering for, for Florida State players. Um, so e- Etienne yeah. was rumored to be uh, going before he entered the portal, going to Georgia. Where did he end Josh up? Farmer. Josh Farmer. Do we Josh, Josh Farmer was, was on the way to Georgia right after entering the portal. Yeah. Listen, and, and I got like everyone's tampering at this point. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, that's negotiating not, that's not stuff before, either. like, but but there's a level of hypocrisy that's occurring here that, that we are going to call out directly for Georgia. Yeah. Um, yeah, the difference is, according to like what we're hearing, Florida State had uh, at least one member of that organization, Rising Spear, who like went on record with the NCAA against their own university. Um, and mm-hmm. I mean, that's essentially how this happened because the NCAA is not, you know, they they found, for example. They found John Ruiz at Miami last year meeting with two basketball recruits, the Cavender twins, um, and, like for an NIL uh, opportunity. And they were met with like, you know, barely any violations. Well, f- the difference at Florida State, obviously it's in the realm of football, so it's going to be taken more seriously. And then they were, uh, you know, they had a guy within the Florida State realm of, uh, you know, NIL that would go on record with the NCAA to tell them, you know, to basically snitch on FSU. Um, and then obviously, um, if you read the report, um, Amarius Mims and, and his family um, also went on record with the NCAA, which is fair. Um, they were involved with it. Um, and, you know, it's safe to assume that, you know, a Georgia coach was also involved. So on the paper um, is- trail. Go Just ahead, to ahead. add, on the paper trail, uh, it, this is directly from the report. Following the meeting, the booster sent a text message to PSA prospective student-athlete and called and sent a message to PSA's mother, in this case, Amarius Mims' mother, on April 18, 2022. So this is roughly, I believe, four days after that initial meeting that's being cited for the text messages. PSA, again, Amarius Mims withdrew his name from the transfer portal and remained at his original institution, which we all know was Georgia. Okay, so uh, general rule of thumb, don't don't comply with NCAA when they come knocking. Uh, historically, has proven if you if you work with them, <laughs> you're going to get let let them drown in a sea of bureaucracy and try to go ahead and and do the investigation themselves. So it, it would certainly seem that uh, this hurt Florida State and and why they kind of became the are becoming the poster child for stepping out of the what the NCAA rules for NIL in the wild wild west, like the the vague rules that they do have. Um, is because you you had someone go ahead and and comply, and that that's where we're at with that. Uh, as it applies to Florida State in the actual violations. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is you hear probation. FSU has two years of probation. I think some fans heard that on Thursday evening and started thinking of missing bowl games, postseason games, things like that. 
that's not what it is. It's just a lot of like clerical, you got to include further education on coaches for NCAA compliance. You have to inform prospects in the football program of writing of what's happening. You got to basically admit to it. It's a lot of just uh, stuff. It, uh, it also deals with if you commit another violation or something else in that window of time, yeah. it's viewed more harshly. It's one of those it, where like, say it's like violating three, parole. Elevate it to a level one. If it's a level three, they would probably elevate it to a level two. It's, you're under further scrutiny. It's, you're under the uh, microscope focus microscope. Yes. And to clarify, uh, Mike Norvell was not mentioned in the report. I think that's worth noting. Cause there was a national reporter who implied that Florida state's head coach uh, could be getting in further trouble from this. And the NCAA basically deemed that Mike Norvell had quote unquote set clear expectations regarding compliance within the football program. Right now, it doesn't seem like that. <laughs> that there's anything more happening with that. And it was also deemed that the university's compliance staff, quote, provided effective rules, ed- education to staff members, um, ellipses. The institution did not fail to monitor its football program. That's where we start getting to level one stuff, right, Chris? Like if, if you have lack of institutional control, that's where you start talking about like big time sanctions. So yeah. um, you're going to have to you know, straighten narrow and, and be very careful in how you do things these next two years. Uh, there's a two-year show cause order for the assistant coach, Alex Atkins, including suspension from the next three regular season games. So that's opening the 2024 season, a two week restriction on recruiting communication and required attendance at NCAA regional rules, seminar attendance. Good job, NCAA. You're making them go to detention. Uh, What is a show cause, Chris? Uh, It's kind of, I think you described it yesterday as a scarlet letter upon a coach. That's sort of a good description of it. It's uh, kind of in lines with probation that individual is under higher level scrutiny. Uh, any school that hires them has to basically carry over the punishment within the NCA that they've levied upon him. So it's one of those things that just carries with a coach. It's a negative on a coach, but long-term it won't impact Alex and his aspirations. Short-term it probably did. It's why this offseason, anytime he was mentioned for a head coaching job, yeah. i.e. Tulane, others, I was pretty dismissive of the expectation of him yeah. going there because we knew this was happening in no time. And I'd presume in the interview process, he would you know, share this and it wouldn't be some grand secret. A restriction from off-campus recruiting during the fall 2023 for the assistant coach. That's so already happened. Uh, a three-year disassociation from the booster who is not named. A one-year disassociation from the collective uh, not named. But uh, to be clear, Rising Spear, not the battle's end, which didn't even exist at the time of this uh, this violation. Uh, a $5,000 fine plus 1% of the football budget. Uh, that's probably looking at what, Chris, six figures if you're talking about 1% of the football budget. I don't know. I don't know how you calculate that number pertaining to this punishment. So I'm not sure if it's a, uh, a basic number of what it costs to finance this part of the football stuff or the entirety of the operation. If it's one versus the other, it changes that number drastically. It won't be chump change. Uh, A 5% reduction in football scholarships over two-year probationary period amount to the total of reduction of five scholarships. Let's talk about that. That's not per year. That's over a two-year span. So 83 one year, 82 the next. You meet your five goal. It's not you're reduced to 80 each year over a two-year period. On paper, that looks looks bad. But in the world of NIL – a scholarship doesn't really mean all that much because I mean, you can really just get a player on your roster, have them as a walk on and pay their scholarship plus any other Florida state. Can't probably say that's what they're doing, but that's probably what they should do. Is that not allowed? I don't think so. I don't think you can 
Okay. It can't be a pay for play. It's, it's, it's just so yeah. stupid. Like the the stupid yellow tape or red tape, whatever color tape it is. Like it's all just stupid. The um, sooner we get to paying them as employees, the sooner we get out of dealing with all these stupid definitions and nuances. I think Stan Wilcox deserves a raise. Uh, a reduction in official visits uh, for the football program in the 2023-2024 academic year by seven. The school will also not roll over uh, six unused official visits from the 2022-2023 academic year. Is that significant? All right. A reduction in football recruiting communications for a total of six weeks during the 2023 and 2024 and 2024-2025 academic years. A reduction in the number of in-person recruiting days during the 2023-2024 academic year by six evaluation days during fall 2023 and 18 during spring of 2024. Uh, so that, that seems significant, uh, the reduction of evaluation days. Yeah. Uh, well, Atkins already went through some of that um, this past fall, I was told. Like, he didn't go out on the road in that final um, period of, you know, November, December time when they were doing in-home visits. Like there were a few offensive linemen that signed with Florida State who never saw Alex Atkins in that period because of this, because of the violations. Um, and on the note of the six weeks of no recruiting communication, that's this week. Um, the first of those six weeks will happen this week, starting today, Friday. And it'll last until next Friday. Um, so while they will have visitors on campus this weekend, um, you know, who we'll talk about in a little bit, Roy Dell Williams and Richie Leonard, they can't like electronically communicate with those two while they're on campus. So like everything has to be in person. Um, and they can't reach out to any 2023 or 2025 recruits um to set up for like junior days or anything like that this week. Um, they can reach out to high school head coaches, I've confirmed, and kind of communicate through, uh, you know, that way. But you know, they can't reach out to a prospect or their family. Um, so that that's they're starting one of those uh, weeks of no communication this week. Um, I don't know. I don't know about you know when they'll do the the other ones in the future. I assume you know at points where you know recruiting has kind of died down a little bit. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, when they kind of decide to uh, to place those no communication weeks in the future. Okay, let's see. What else do we have here? I think that's all for uh, probation, uh, penalties. Uh, we talked about scholarship productions. I think that's everything that I had to say on it for now. I want to do more investigating on this now that this is public, put in some FOIA stuff and, and kind of see like some of the the other, like to me, the, the most interesting thing that and Zach talked about it, like moving forward, is like how this happened, like how everyone's doing this thing, and, and how Florida State ended up getting uh, to be the one that that got you know, in trouble for it. Having someone uh, within your organization or your NIL organization be willing to to comply seems to be a, a pretty decent. Yeah, and that. people, you know, for for a possible motive as to why he did comply, I think it's likely because. The Battle's End, which is FSU's collective, who, to be clear, is not involved in this in any way. Um, they're not the collective that's mentioned in the report. That's the Rising Spear. Battle's End was taking over football at Florida State, right? Like, they, they have every single football deal that we know of um, for guys on the current roster. And because of that, I mean, Rising Spear... Um, is helping out with other sports, uh, but you know the large the large deals for you know for the football team are all going through Battle's End, so that might be a possible motive as to why 
that individual did go on record with the NCAA to rat, you know, Florida State out for this situation. I'm trying to get more clarity on uh, disassociation, like the definition of that with a collective, because Rising Spirit isn't going away in the sense of like it's being shut down because of this ruling. Yeah, I, I just more think- so it's more so an instance of FSU can't endorse them publicly. You can't have ads. You can't have any kind of a cooperation between the two, which yeah, we've no seen them have with Battles End. Mike Norvell doing commercials of hey, give the Battles End, you know, things of that sort that can't exist, but they can still have relationships with student athletes. And they do, they currently have them with a lot of bit basketball, women's and men's uh, basketball, soccer, baseball, things of that sort, softball, I believe as well. I think that's everything that we want to talk about right now for this. So that was a good overlay of, of what's happening. Are we good to move on to the other uh, looming talking point for the day? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into it. Uh, Mike Norvell, this is ultimately a good problem to have as a football program. Your head coach is to some extent or another, and we're trying to connect the dots on that. Information is sparse right now, um, but your your head coach is coveted by Alabama. The Alabama job opened up a couple of days ago when Nick Saban retired. There's long been talked about like for months now that Nick Saban could be retiring. It is what happened. Uh, that opens up one of, if not the most prestigious job in college football. When you talk about the conference that it's in, the money that it's bringing in, the resources that it has, the prestige and, and just the cachet that it has as a football program. Like, yeah, like Alabama is a destination job for, I would imagine, almost every single coach in America. Um, to that point and what we can report and what we know, uh, Mike Norvell is reportedly a target. I mean, ESPN has mentioned that uh, Mike Norvell is someone that is kind of in the crosshairs for Alabama, along with Washington's Kalen DeBoer. Uh, we believe there's to some extent reciprocated interest to what extent and whether it's a legitimate play, like at the Alabama job for Norvell or, or leverage for FSU. Like we will see we're confident FSU and Norvell are negotiating a contract extension. Uh, we believe it, if it did occur, it'd be ripe with escalation and like satellite funding for things like support staff or uh, the battles End collective assurances like that, like that be beefing up FSU's chances to compete and continue to compete at a major level. That's where we're at right now, gentlemen. Chris, I'll start with you. Like, what's the workflow like? What are we trying to accomplish? What do we know? What do we not know? And anything that I just mentioned that you want to build on, I guess. Well, on Thursday, it was business as usual around the building. On Friday, we know that we have reason to believe Mike Norvell is currently with the running back visitor. We expect him to be around both visitors today. What we're trying to lock down is whether or not an interview will truly happen, not if they want to interview him. That, that makes sense. It means one, two Coach of the Year awards and 23 football games over the last two years. But whether or not an actual interview or discussion with Alabama happens, and then beyond that, does an offer get laid on the table? And obviously, what decision does he make when we reach that point? The other thing is from the FSU perspective, trying to find out if there's been an amendment to his contract. I've put in a request for said amendment. And if that gets finalized and announced, sometimes things like this will speed up a process such as that, and we shall see if it does. I mean, that's where it is. Like, I, I'm not super into the rumor and speculation of it all. We've heard talk that Alabama was trying to speak to him last evening. Don't believe that happened, that they're trying to talk today. We shall see if that happens at this point in time. Mike Norvell is working for FSU, doing everything for FSU, so on and so forth. Yeah, so I put up on the site a report by Football Scoop who nailed the uh, 2019, you know, hiring cycle for Florida State. And they had Norvell as a name early on um, before a lot of other people. 
they reported that Mike Norvell is among three serious candidates along the lines of earning an interview for Alabama's head coach vacancy. So, you know, being clear there, not guys that have interviewed, just guys that make sense and, and um, you know, look like Alabama targets for a possible interview. The two other names that they mentioned were Washington coach Kalen DeBoer and Crimson Tide offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. It, right now, like if you're just looking from a national thing, but a national perspective, it seems like Norvell and DeBoer are the two names um, that everyone's kind of focusing on. I will note, like as we're recording this podcast, DeBoer canceled his uh, in like their Husky radio show for this morning. Um, could could you imagine the freak out if Mike like did Dude. something like that? Like people were freaking I, out over a 4 p.m. meeting that had been set for weeks. Uh, as what I understand, the uh, the radio interview is with Seattle's biggest radio station pertaining to Washington football. So yeah, says Husky fans, we know you were looking forward to a visit with Coach DeBoer this morning. Please understand that Coach DeBoer and UW Athletics are continuing to work towards a future we can all be excited about. At this time, Coach will not be joining us this morning, but we will reschedule our interview soon. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, that could imply that they're negotiating stuff. It could imply that he's visiting or conducting an interview with Alabama. Seems like everything that's going to be out there is going to be, uh, you're going to be able to read a lot into it. Hell, people are reading into Mike Norvell tweets saying the future is bright in Tallahassee, which he tweets every time they get a commitment. But this time it meant something different. Because of the timing of the tweet, right? I don't know. I mean, I guess it would be way more noteworthy if he didn't send out a tweet about it. but yeah, I mean, yes. If he if he did not acknowledge the commitment that they just got from Alabama, yeah. uh, that would yes, that would have been noteworthy. I think the like you know obviously if you're an FSU fan here, you want Norvell to handle this like his uh, you know a member of his coaching tree, Dan Lanning at Oregon, who didn't wait you know what twelve hours after the Nick Saban news dropped earlier this week to drop a video of his own saying that he was staying at Oregon. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you know, Norvell's, they're not, they're not like the same, you know, type of guy where they're all, you know, I mean, Norvell's got a lot of energy, but Dan Lanning is, is fired up. Um, and, and, you know, pretty cool of him to, to put that out there. But I, I think, you know, from a personal perspective with Norvell, like, I think this makes a lot of sense, the Alabama job. Um, you know, Brendan and I have talked about that this week, like how, I mean, if you look at, you know, both situations, Norvell looks like a, you know, really great candidate for Bama. Um, but, you know, Florida State has the money to work with to try and keep him here. Um, I'm sure Norvell, you know, regardless of, uh, you know, how the situation unfolds, like FSU has the capital capital to compete, you know, with the Alabama contract. And um, I'm sure Norvell is going to use this situation to, you know, get a pay bump at the very least. Zach, that's why he's not putting out a, I think that would be why he's not putting out a video right away to say, I'm staying with Florida state. If you're trying to negotiate to have a bigger support staff or whatever it would be, uh, you need that leverage as long as possible. People have to remember that coaches have one window to do this each year. And this is that window. And when you're wanted by a program or thought to be wanted by a program of a high caliber, it gives you leverage. You don't, you don't run away from leverage if you need to use it for something. And so, so my thoughts on one, just as a human, like, yeah, if, if at the top of my profession, like the, the 
the t pinnacle of, of like whatever I'm doing came open and it was being thrown at me. Like you listen, you, you owe it to yourself, to your family, to, to everyone around you to, to listen. Doesn't mean you take it, but that means you, you listen. So I, I will never fault anyone for doing that. Uh, as it applies to like what Florida state needs to accomplish with this guys, I, I don't think you're in a situation and for a few reasons to where you can afford to lose Mike Norvell. The reasons being for me, number one, paying college head coaches is usually a crapshoot. And it's usually historically, you don't get a great ROI on it. FSU just paid off Willie Taggart's contract, for example. Uh, how much money did Texas A&M have to you know, pay Jimbo Fisher to, to walk away? It usually doesn't work. Now, when you find a guy who it does work with, however, that is worth a substantial, it is like a premium insurance policy where you just have a safety net because you get to fill the stadium. You get to have competent like play year after year. That is super valuable. And Florida State's doing renovations to its stadium. It's going to break ground, presumably soon, on an indoor practice facility. It is... <laughs> Chris, the parking lot that I'm staring at is very closed down for the football only facility construction. So yes, I think they intend to start working on it. <laughs> it seems like we're itching towards that. Point being is that you are putting a ton of money into the football program infrastructure. You are also getting an NCAA investigation under you right now. You are suing your conference and your conference is suing you. You're trying to pivot to a better TV landscape. Uh, all this saying is like that Florida State needs to have a very substantially strong football program and your quickest path to that is to retain the coach you currently have who's won 23 games over the last two seasons that went on how many games in a row 19 19 yeah i mean that is going to have a top 10 recruiting class like those are the things that you have to retain when you know that you have a above competent coach a, a qualified like high-end top five coach in the country also guys starting to put together a name of a hot board if we have to go that direction <laughs> It's not robust. It's not a great crop of like up and comers or proven coaches you can go ahead and grab, especially when you're in the ACC. And basically, college football just farted all over the ACC. So good luck pulling even like middling SEC or Big Ten coaches. Like your pool is limited. Mike Norvell is the path. Like you have to, you have to get that done with him. That's my thought on it. It's like I don't, I don't think you can afford to not get this done. Cool. I don't think Mike Norvell has an intention of leaving FSU. Uh, I've said that on a message board. I feel comfortable saying that on this podcast. Uh, I think, again, it's leverage. It's about making sure programs run at the most optimal level to compete at the highest level. And you only get so many windows to negotiate such things. And, hey, you just won two Coach of the Year awards, went 13-0, and 0, and, you know, Orange Bowl being what it was, and we all know the circumstances of that. Like, you know, you don't get into a much better stance of power outside of winning a national title. I'm with you, Chris. So Friday morning, as we're recording this, like Mike Norville believed to be around Florida State doing his, his stuff recruiting. Chris mentioned business as usual. That's great. It always is business as usual until it's not business as usual. Jimbo yeah. Fisher was doing stuff until the bitter end. And then all of a sudden, Chris and I are, are watching Jimmy Sexton doing uh, parking lot meetings with Jimbo Fisher. And Chris is tailing him to to go give in his resignation to the president. And, and so it's all business. These football coaches are wired to do work until the bitter end. Like when a coaching staff gets fired, the coaches who stay until the new one comes like work and recruit until the end. That's just, that's how it works. So yeah, no but you're wasn't recruiting from October on and stuff. There's signs uh, to a guy, you know, dereliction of duty. 
we haven't seen that with Mike in any form of perfection. No, no. Um, so yeah, I, I think people are going to want our predictions on what happens today. Is like a swing day for it, I think. But to me, what my gut is is, is similar to Chris's is that there seems to be an intent to try to make it work uh, with Mike Norvell long term, and, and for Mike to advocate for what's best for the football program in his estimation. And, and that means a bolstering of, of support around him. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at with, with Mike Norvell and, and Alabama rumors. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast. Most items can ship overnight. Plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, let's see. We have one more thing to talk about, and that's some transfer portal stuff. Chris, do you want to hang around? I know you're on the bench keeping track of stuff. Zach and I can take this. What, what, do you, what would you like to do? I'm here as long as the connection holds and the kid doesn't show. All right. So let's talk about commitments first. Uh, FSU added two transfer portal commitments, two really big ones in the last couple of days. Uh, first off, Oregon State defensive end, Sihone Lolohea. Got it correctly. Perfect. I know it was a little robotic there, but I think that is uh, phonetically good. Going to keep working on that. I got DJ Uyunglele. Like, I'm good with that now. We're, we're trying to, to work on this, and uh, I'm happy with that first attempt. Uh, he is a second team, all Pac-12 member. He had 32 pressures this past year, 29 the year before, including five against Florida in a bowl game in which, you know, the Gators kicked a field goal to avoid being shut out, um, you know, with like 20 seconds left. That was cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, Lolohea is a commodity for Florida State. Zach, let's talk a little bit about their recruitment, who Florida State beat out for him, fit, all those type of things. Yeah, so Florida State got the first visit for Lolohea out of the portal. He entered last week. They got him in on that Friday, I believe. And then he left on Saturday or on Sunday to head to USC for like a, you know, a few hours that Sunday before things went dead, the recruiting period, the recruiting dead period started. Those were the main two schools. And it's funny because, you know, we, we'd been hearing confidence in Florida state standing with him, you know, since that visit. And then the day that he committed to Florida state, all the crystal balls besides yours were on USC. Yeah. Um, well, here, here's the thing about that, Zach, he committed to Florida state the evening before. So I'm not sure where all that confidence uh, elsewhere was. Yeah, there was, there was reporting from like our, I think our USC site that 
there was no mention of Florida State in there. Like, like when they were checking on it, it was all USC. He was setting up a visit to Michigan State. Uh, I was told he never wanted to go to Michigan State from the start. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> a big ad. Um, I know Florida State likes him a lot. Like they're super high on him. Um, I talked to someone inside the program who you know thought that was their best addition of the portal cycle so far. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are people in that building that think super highly of Sione Lolea. And then are we going to talk about the next guy? Well, let's real quick talk about just the collective, Chris, of the defensive line group that you have right now with his addition. And it looked bleak a few weeks ago, a, a little bit more clarity. And I think at least I feel better about what that room looks like collectively. How about you? Yeah, I mean, Sione is a big body athletic kid with great effort, mature. So he brings a lot to the table. I, I know they like him inside the building. Grady Kelly, another mature kid that they added on the inside. Uh, Zion Young still kind of floating out there. We'll, we shall see how that one plays out as a whole. He becomes less of a priority now, obviously. With Yeah, with Tomiwa and what else you've added there. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think in general, they like the athleticism. They like the differing body types. I think you feel pretty good about it. Again, we kind of talked about this on the last pod. I think you go into the spring and you see what you have, what you need, and you kind of figure it out from there. But I think they've added adequate bodies, capable abilities, some guys who bring some maturity to the room, some guys who have played a lot of college snaps, and they feel pretty confident about what they're going to roll out there in that group. Okay, let's talk. And, and no rating yet for us as a network for Sione Lolelehea. Uh, I think at the lowest will probably be an 89. I'm advocating like for 92-ish. Like it's what I think I had him at in that range. So we'll see. Um, hopefully he gets a four-star just for FSU to keep having that nice little blue trip ratio going on there in the transfer portal cycle. And again, a commodity, someone that I believe Texas A&M and Miami were also trying to push for uh, an official visit from, but FSU got that wrapped up. FSU, in the meantime, got another transfer commitment from a four-star prospect. Zachary, let him know who it is. Tamiwa? Oh. Is that who we're talking about? No, we, have we, we are talking here. Yeah, oh. Good job. Oh, yeah, we talked about Tamiwa last time because we had the yeah. pronunciation effort. Way to read the script. Good job. Glad I put that together. Yeah, not reading the script. Um, Terrence Ferguson, offensive lineman from Alabama, the number three rated interior offensive lineman in the transfer portal and the 133rd player overall, 90 grade. Big dude, six foot four, 320 pounds, visited Florida State last week, came down to FSU versus Oklahoma in this battle. Um, and he was also considering a return to Alabama, but obviously considering the circumstances there, that kind of came off the table late. And yeah, Florida State went out. Um, this is a guy that Alex Atkins recruited heavily out of the high school ranks. He opted for Alabama. And a few years later, he's now headed to FSU. So provides some you know, quality player for Florida State along the interior of their offensive line. He's a guy I could see pushing for a starting job in, in 2024. Absolutely. Yeah, it continues the theme of them getting guys on the second try that we've seen a good bit with this group, Earl Little and others, and so on, Jalen Brown. Uh, in Ferguson's case, I think he is a guy that right now you probably can pencil in as a very likely starter at interior lineman at guard. They wanted to get better at guard, and he's a kid that they loved. They loved him out of high school. He's a big body. He can definitely help him there. Uh, you know, to fast forward a little bit, they're bringing into this weekend, including one offensive lineman, Richie Leonard. He's another guy that can help him at guard and certainly 
bolster that group from a veteran standpoint. I think Richie played like 755 snaps last year, if I recall correctly. And I want to say all but 14 of them were at offensive guard, at left guard. He was a starter consistently at left guard for the Gators. Great deal of college experience. And again, another kid that FSU recruited heavily out of the high school ranks who they're here doing it again a second time with, albeit with a different staff, I think, in Richie's case. So Florida State is hosting two official visitors from the transfer portal this weekend, one of which is Richie Leonard, who Chris just mentioned. Um, Byer Sinone, sponsored by? The Turner Group. The Turner Group. FSU lands Richie Leonard this weekend. Yes, bye. Bye. Yeah, I think you go ahead, you get him in, get him to enroll. I think that, that aims pretty well. Seems like a mature guy who just kind of wants to streamline the process and knows what he's looking for. And uh, FSU really set out with, I think, looking for two offensive linemen and was going to be really comfortable taking two quality guards in the transfer portal. And Ferguson kind of in the boat. Uh, Richie Leonard, you have a really good shot at. Like, okay, that, that'll be your offensive line like additions for this cycle. Uh, so that's one. And he was solid, like, at Florida. That's funny. You go ahead and read the Florida message board when he entered the transfer portal. It's always funny, Zach, like, when we try to, like, weigh what the opposing fan base or another fan base is saying about someone departing. It wasn't a bunch of, like, oh, good luck. Go get him at the next level. So that's good. He doesn't suck. It also wasn't, like, FSU meltdown, angry Landon Dickerson yeah. transfer. It was somewhere. They weren't – yeah, they weren't, like, super sad. I guess – from what I read, they weren't like super upset that he was leaving, but they also were not confident in Billy Napier's ability to replace him as like, you know, a guy that was similar talent. Cause this is a guy that started what every game for them in, in 2023. Um, mm-hmm. you know, didn't had some not so great moments, especially against Florida state, like did not play well, but yeah, it's worse two or his last two. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Usually a sign that there was maybe if you, when you string together poor performances, injuries, or if you just play two really good defensive lines in a row. Yeah. So no, it's, it's, uh, I mean, Richie, Richie Leonard, I'm super familiar with, I covered his recruitment really heavily out of the high school ranks. Um, he was committed to Kentucky for a while and FSU is thought to be the school, you know, with the best chance to flip him back then, but he ended up heading to UF and, um, yeah, I mean, but he was, he was a big target for, for, that wasn't even Atkins. That was, uh, I think that was under Taggart. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. He was part of the Taggart because he, he was a 2020. Yeah, um, Jeff Sims was the quarterback commit then. Um, no, but but yeah, I, I think this would be a good ad for Florida State, a guy that has a ton of starting experience in the SEC. And like Chris said, they want to bolster their interior offensive line group, and he's a guy that can, can likely help or compete for a starting job uh, early on. Zach mentions Jeff Sims. Do you guys ever just sit and think about how pointless it is what we what we do sometimes? I, I think it, I think it was Bud yesterday. Was it Casey Thompson that committed to like his fourth school in seven years and Bud just yeah. wouldn't get a job? <laughs> I, I won't lie, I laughed pretty good at that one. There is a, a a national like pundits are catching on to like the the boutique agency of uh, not to be confused with the boutique agency of the Turner Group a boutique agency of quarterbacks who were just like being recycled over and over and kind of preventing the development of, of younger guys. This is about done with the transfer or the, the COVID era, excuse me, starting to kind of wind down scholarship wise and, and eligibility wise. Um, but as it applies to like Jeff Sims, like I remember the fan base is going nuts. And they took Tate Rodemaker over Jeff Sims and then Chubba Purdy as well. And like ones at Southern Miss, I don't know where Chubba Purdy's at now. I don't know where Jeff Sims is out now. Like it didn't really matter at the end of the day. 
Anyways, not to be bleak, uh, let's talk about the last official visitor because this one does matter. Uh, you're trying to go ahead, round out your running back room, and FSU is hosting Roydell Williams, Alabama running back on an official visit. He is from Hueytown, Alabama, if that's familiar. Jameis Winston Jameis. from Hueytown, Alabama. Uh, he's been a productive, like, situational back for Alabama the last few years. Past season, jumped up to uh, a higher usage, 111 carries, 560 yards, 5.0 yards per carry, five touchdowns. Uh, Zachary, let's let's talk a little bit about him real quick and, and that recruiting process. Yeah, I mean, Florida State is, I believe, still the only school that he's tweeted out an offer from. I'm sure he's gotten interest from others. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's a physical running back, five foot 10, like 215 pounds. If you watch some of his tape, it's pretty fun. He's also a highly ranked transfer. He's the number seven ranked running back in the country at 91 grade, 75 player overall. This would be a good ad for Florida State as they look to replace Trey Benson's production. Obviously, they've got some guys already in that room. Um, but, you know, with Trey Benson gone, Rodney Hill to the portal, it makes sense that they would explore the portal for a running back option. And, the, and you know, Roy Dell is probably the most talented guy still left on the board uh, when it comes to, to transfer running backs. What, wasn't the rumor, uh, wait, real quick, wasn't the rumor a few days ago, guys, that like – the uh, one of his options was to return to Alabama. Uh, I, I saw some talk of that, um, but I, I think the view is that Bama's got a crowded running back room, and they weren't sure how much more his role would increase. Essentially, well, that it, his role was yeah. good last year; it potentially could increase, but with such a crowded room, it's not a certainty to increase. Yeah, I mean, they had they have the uh, true freshman running back there, Justice Haynes, who's really good, who played some in the in the. Um, in the semifinal for them. But uh, yeah, I, I think his role would have increased at Alabama. Jace McClellan is headed to the NFL, who's their starter. So, I mean, maybe a similar role, but like we've seen at Florida State, like, no, they don't really feature a running back. Like they, they did that some with Benson this year, but even then, I mean, we saw a good amount of, of those other guys rotated in. Uh, I was just going to add, FSU absolutely loved him when he jumped in the portal. He's somebody they immediately got on. You know, there was some talk of Quinshawn Junkins, who I believe has decided upon Ohio State while in the process. But FSU very quickly gravitated to Roydell, offered him, visit got locked up. You know, it's been on the books for a week now. It couldn't happen last weekend, from what I understand, because of some people in his party. Travel plans just wouldn't have worked for it to be done in that short of a window, because I think he officially went in on Friday or Saturday last week, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it was after the visit, like, period had, had went down. But, yeah, FSU moved swiftly. His Twitter activity, or X activity for what it's worth, tweeted out that Florida State offered. I don't think he's done that anywhere else yet, too. So, like, first visit, only place he's tweeted out an offer for. That seems to be – and if the return to Alabama was in, on the table, they don't have a coach right now. Um, yeah, and the FSU hit rate with transfer portal kids has been pretty good here in this yeah, winter stretch. It, it has, from Alabama. It has stretch. What? Sorry. I said, especially from Alabama. Yeah. How about that? Somebody um, told me at the start of the transfer season, it matters where they played. And if you look at most of the guys FSU has dealt with, that, that holds pretty true. Most, not all. This this does feel a lot like what cycle? The cycle with like Jermaine Johnson, Kier Thomas, Jamie Robinson, where you're getting somewhat proven guys or high upside guys uh, from proven programs. Uh, or at least good programs, and that you knew were developed um, to try to then expand their role in, in your in your system. So, kind of feels like that, uh, but but I think with a higher 
caliber of, of recruit overall. So yeah, a, a really good class for Florida State that's been developed. They've responded really well to some miscues early on. I think they misread the market early on, but they've adjusted really well, and they deserve credit for that. It looks like it'll be a top five transfer class. Oh, last last thing, Zach, you put in a crystal ball for a 2024 cycle prospect. So that may be something that would bolster FSU's class ranking even more. Yeah, I think it would push them if they added this guy 10 to 9 in the rankings. Amari the Williams. Rankings. Yeah. yeah, Amari Williams. He's a uh, reclassification kid. He reclassed from 2025 to 2024. The weekend before signing day, officially visited FSU that weekend. I feel really good about Florida State's chances of adding him to the roster. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's a slender, like, edge type right now. He plays tight end, too. Um, I think Florida State's going to bring him in as a, as a defensive end, though. Going to have to put some weight on him, um, but he's got time. And, yeah, he's a guy that that they're excited about and I think uh, I think is likely to end up at FSU. And to clarify, Zach, even if he pulled the trigger here in the next day or two, the expectation is a May or June arrival, correct? Yeah, he's a summer enrollee. All right. I think that's everything we want to talk about. Chris, were you happy with this efficiency? 45 minutes, basically, for oh, some pretty big topics. This is a get this in, is a get out, buddy. Uh, I just, the whole world changes quickly in days like this. I just drank my first cup of coffee in like a week, too, and it's starting to kick in. So it's probably good for me to wrap this up before I start meandering and. and Yammering and all the ings. So for Chris Nee, Zach Blossing, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. A pretty heavy day for Florida State football. Let's see how the next 24, 48 hours shake out. We might be doing an emergency pod. I hope we don't, though. I hope we don't. 